Welcome to a very special edition of the BRFCS podcast, one in which our Canadian correspondent, Bill Arthur, interviews a former player who has an awful lot of Lancashire connections. I'm at the TSN studios in Toronto today and I'm here to look, talk to our special guest, Scottish international Stephen Caldwell, who will be familiar to Lancashire football supporters from his time with Burnley and Wigan. After finishing his career with Toronto FC, known as TFC in these parts, he's been working with Canada's leading sports broadcaster, TSN, as an analyst on all their football programmes and has just finished his Saturday morning stint analysing today's Premier League games. Welcome to the BRFCS podcast, Stephen, and thanks very much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, Bill. I'm really excited to be on. It's uh, a pleasure. How did the show go this morning? It went well, actually. We had two... Um well, we had three games actually on our network, but we were focusing on, on two. Christian was doing Tottenham against Burnley and there was a late Christian Eriksen goal and I was doing uh, Huddersfield against Newcastle and um, Newcastle won 1-0, Salmon Rondon. So, yeah, not the best games today, but we've got a big day tomorrow. We have uh, Liverpool against Manchester United uh, being the, the second game, the first game being Southampton Arsenal. So we're very excited about the games ahead tomorrow also. Yeah, good, a big weekend then. Maybe we could just start, unusually for a Blackburn podcast, let's start talking a little <laughs> bit about Burnley. From I haven't seen the game this morning, but it, from the sound of it, they were back to their, what should we call it, their, their awkward best. <laughs> yeah, they were, and, and we mentioned that when we were watching Christian and I, my colleague Christian Jack, we, um, we commented on it looked like the Burnley of old because they've not been like that this season. They've conceded a, a great number of goals. I think there's them in Fulham at the... You know the top of the list for the number of goals conceded in the Premier League yeah. this year, and it's not what we've expected from Burnley under Sean Dyche. They've been so yeah. solid and, and difficult yeah. to beat, and today they went back to a five at the back and a four in midfield, and just the, the lone striker up top, and it, it seemed to really frustrate Tottenham, made it really difficult for them to yeah. create opportunities. One of the best sides in the Premier League, and you know maybe a bit negative, but you know we have to be realistic. It's the only way a Burnley can That's go right. into yeah. Wembley Stadium and, and yeah. play Tottenham and and come away yeah. with any kind of results so you understand that but for me being you know a lover of the game of football I, I'd rather see more expansive football and in the end uh, Tottenham found a way and you know if you love the game I think you've got to be quite happy when you know when a team defends if someone finds an answer yeah. I, I think it's only fair and, and they did uh, it, seems, it seems to happen so often you know you get a, defend, a good defensive yeah. away performance and then you think you're going to hang on and then it goes wrong at the last minute yeah because it's so difficult to concentrate for the whole yeah. time isn't yeah. it that's yeah. the, the challenge of that kind of performance yeah. so um, what do you think Burnley's chances of avoiding relegation are? I think they'll just avoid it, but I mean they're going to be in a fight. There's no doubt about that. They've they've came to a point in their their Premier League um, existence and this latest one where they're getting found out a little bit. They're they're struggling. They're, yeah. I think they need some reinforcements as well, right. and um, hopefully they get the chance to do that in the summer because yeah. I'm I'm a wee bit concerned for them. But I do think they'll just be about okay. Cardiff, I still yeah. think they'll struggle, and I think Huddersfield. Yeah. After seeing them today and a number of times this season, although they were excellent last week at the Emirates, they only yeah. lost one nil. Yeah. I think they'll go down. And then I think it's one of Burnley, Southampton. Um, I'm, I'm drawing a blank now, but you know the th- yeah. three or four yeah, down there. Palace right. will probably yeah. be around a bit. I think West Ham. I think yeah. Palace ultimately will have a bit too much. Yeah. The teams with that quality or the one or two players with extreme quality. Yeah usually just drag away near the end. Now, a few weeks ago, uh, I was seeing comments, albeit from a minority of Burnley fans, saying, you know, Dyche has taken as far as he can go. Wow. I mean, it seems a bit extreme that after all he's done. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I can't see any reason they should ditch him, can you? 
No, I don't think they should ditch him. I like the way they play. I, I've been very vocal in saying that I think that you have to understand um, the football club, the area. I, I'm big on that. The, the culture of the history of the club. And I think that Sean Dyche is a perfect guy to be manager of Burnley Football yeah. Club. I don't think anybody's ever going to come into Burnley and start playing expansive yeah. swashbuckling yeah. football yeah. if they expect that. I just don't think it's realistic. I don't think that... I don't yeah. even think the fans want that either. No, I, th- I, you think, know. I think realistically, the bottom half of the Premier League, that's, you know, yeah, it's been nice to play expansive football, yeah. but you have to be realistic as well. Well, it? Fulham tried it, Jukanovic yeah. tried it, and, and right. uh, you know, you look at he he was on his way because yeah. it wasn't working. They're making too many mistakes, conceding too many goals, and under Ranieri, they've been a wee bit more solid. But it, it's such a difficult thing. We see so much top level football these days that, you know, supporters are spoiled, they, they then want their team to play yeah. in that style. Yeah. It's just unrealistic unless yeah. you have the open checkbook yeah. and you can get the, the, the right. true quality. Well, we'll talk a little bit more about Burnley in uh, due course, but maybe we could uh, start uh, with your where your football career started at, uh, at Newcastle. Yeah. And uh, you joined them at a fairly early age. I did. I joined uh, when I was 16. Uh, you know, I was travelling down there for maybe a year or two before that um, as I signed forms, but I went there full-time when I was 16 and... Left my family in Scotland and, and down in the northeast. And was, uh, was Gary still with at that time, or did that happen? Gary later? was at school, so he was oh, right. he was a Newcastle player, but he was also going to other clubs okay. as well. And the ironic thing is that doing a, a Blackburn podcast, that you know, I was very close to signing for Blackburn. Were you? Yeah, I went there when I was about thirteen, fourteen. Yeah, and I loved it. There was two main reasons. They were a great club at the time, and they had a fantastic training facility, and, and they had. A manager in Kenny Dalglish, who's my hero, yeah. and a youth development uh, boss, Alan Irvin, right. who uh, you know I've kept in touch with throughout the years, and and they were a huge pull for me, and I was close to signing for Newcastle uh, for Blackburn, sorry, and I always kind of kept going back towards Newcastle, and talking with my family, my mum and my dad. The reason that I was going to Blackburn was because of they two guys yes. more than the yeah. kind of club, so. Right. I decided to go to Newcastle and uh, and I signed and I signed under Kevin Keegan. But when I got there full time in in 1997, Alan and Kenny were there, <laughs> so it was really ironic. I'm, well, that's what I was going to say. I'm glad I made yeah. the decision on people, you know. Yeah, I realised that when I was uh, looking into the background here that uh, Kenny was there when, or, yeah. or, or Sir Kenneth or yeah. or King Kenny as we used King, to call that's him. That's what it is. Yeah, uh, King Kenny was there. Um, yeah. So did you have a lot much involvement with Kenny? I did. Uh, like I say, through that whole process, I knew him really well. Uh, really well. Maybe that's an exaggeration, but you know, I, I knew him in personal terms. We had meals together. We spent time together, and I was just a hero of mine, a, a great man, an even better man in, in person than what you expect yeah. him to be. So he just, was your, he was your childhood. Hero, oh yeah, I mean, it? I'm a bit younger than actually remembering how he kind of played, yeah. uh, but. He played for Celtic and that yeah. was my team and of course he was Scotland's greatest ever player so right. I knew of him and I'd seen footage of him and he was he was on a pedestal as he is to most kids in, in Scotland um, and so when I got the chance to meet him I was I was overawed and he became like a friend, a guy that would pick up the phone to me and, and call me up for time to time and I just thought that was amazing and I just loved his personality, yeah. he's, he's, what you see is what you get with yeah. Kenny. Presumably playing a lot of reserve team football at that time, but he was still yeah. he was still involved. Oh and, yeah, he was very involved with yeah. the youth yeah. setup. He, he yeah. created some some good little uh, youth players at Newcastle, and he was very involved. And in, you know, through the connection with Alan, who was right. I think Alan was maybe like player development coach then. He was he was 
more general coach for everybody at the football club. Okay. Uh, so he did some first team and then he kind of transitioned back towards what, what he was doing at the time, which was more youth development, but very involved and in, in, in very keen in developing us as players. Yeah. Is there any one piece of advice you can think that Kenny gave you that stuck with you throughout your career? No, I don't think there was any piece of advice. I think there was more the example of who he was, you know, and, yeah. and how he was so true to... His upbringing and, and, yeah. and his um, his childhood yeah. as such, his country, yeah. very patriotic. Yeah. And he was so down to earth and I, that kind of stuck with me, you know, to see a guy with 102 caps and, you know, joint record goal scorer for Scotland and European Cup for Liverpool and everything that he was, was just like, this guy was just mm. like normal like everybody else and yeah. he treated everybody on the merits of yeah. whether a good person or not. It was, it didn't really yeah, I think care. that's an important part. I, I seem to recall, you know, when he was signing, when he was at Blackburn, he was signing players, they said one of the things he always looked for was not just the talent of the player, but the personality of the player. Yeah. Because that was important that they should gel with the team. And Yeah, well, you look at the players that he signed at Blackburn in his title winning season, you know, you had Colin Henry, you had Jason Wilcox, you had David Batty, Ed Alan Shearer, Tim Sherwood, Chris Sutton, I could go, Tim yeah. Flowers, I could yeah. go on and on and on, <laughs> Jeff Kenner. You'll have me crying in a minute. <laughs> Every one of them, though, are outstanding characters. Yeah. You know, very good players, of course. You don't win a title with being amazing players, but yeah. it's it's the character that stands out for me in most of the right. names, and that's because of yeah. Kenny. So Kenny uh, was uh, moved on, and uh, Sir Bobby Robson. Yeah. And he was in charge when you first broke into this first team squad, yeah. wasn't he? Yeah, he was. Yeah, it was. So, uh, yeah, it was. I mean, what can you say about Bobby? No, I'm going to say everybody in football says what a great person he was. Yeah, you get the impression that what came over on the TV and on the radio was the genuine person. Yeah, and uh, there were no airs and graces about him. Yeah, well, it's funny enough. I watched the documentary the other day. The Netflix doc, or the documentary is on Netflix now uh, on Bobby, yeah, more than a manager. And I watched it with my sons. My sons are ten and eleven. I was pretty emotional watching it back because you're right, what you see is what you, you got with Bobby and there was no, he was a showman, but he was always a showman, yeah. you know, that was yeah. just his personality, that was the way that he went about things and the lessons that I still remember that I learned through Bobby are just incredible and, and uh, you know, to watch that back and to hear the stories again and whether he was at Barcelona or he was in Portugal or he was in Holland or... He was with England. It was it was the same kind of values yeah. and culture, yeah. and I, I'm yeah. I'm really quite um, obsessed with that because I think that at any football club, when I've been successful or when you see success, there's these little uh, characteristics and traits that keep coming out. And Bobby instilled that in us at, at Newcastle. He instilled it as me as a a professional player, and it continues to go through my life, and it, it made me quite emotional. Mm. Did I see eye eye with him all the time? Absolutely not. You know, there was times I wanted to play more. I was a bitchous young man. I wanted to be in the first team, and it wasn't going to happen. And so, um, you know, it was difficult. We weren't mm. always like best of friends, yeah. but there was a respect there, and, and uh, from um, him to me, and certainly from me to him. And uh, and if you I, weren't in the first team, would he take you aside and explain why? Or did, Yeah, he was so, you know, he was really very open. His door was always there. You right. could, you know, go in, and I was in there a lot because I wanted to play more, and I wanted to show him that I was committed to yeah. that, and that's my personality. And, and in the end, it just comes down to preference, and I think Bobby loved me as a guy, Thought I was a reliable player, but just didn't see me in the best eleven. I think I think they had a fairly strong defensive oh, yeah. squad at that time. Well, we had they? money, didn't yeah. we? So we we signed Woodgate, who's an awesome player. It was unbelievable, Jonathan yeah. Woodgate, um, and then we had Bramble, Titus Bramble, and and Andy O'Brien, and myself. 
and this stand was in the mix and right. you know you had it was always a five six seven million yeah. pound player coming right. in and putting me back the picking order because i was a young lad and um you know i ch- i tried and tried to like break through in that first team and it just was never really going to happen and that was you know i've not got any you know nothing against bobby because of that yeah. but that was just the way that football was, was that was that why you moved on eventually yeah it was of lack of opportunity well i decided at 23 that i wanted to play every week 23 24 yeah. i'm like enough's enough i'd played about 30 40 games yeah. and i wanted to be a regular i wanted right. to be an important player i probably could have stayed in newcastle and been a squad player for yeah, a number of years but, but I wanted play. to play and yeah, I wanted to be the guy and then yeah. so I found another challenge of course I think whilst you were there there were some uh, extra overs favourites Shea Given Kevin Gallagher Alan Shearer well yeah I took three great examples of what it, what it takes to be a brilliant professional uh, Shea was a close friend of mine closer to me in age than the other two guys of course and uh, I got him brilliant with Shane, a fantastic goalkeeper, and Alan was iconic captain, yeah. a great guy. And was he um, as, was he as driven in training as he was yeah. on the field? Oh yeah, he was very driven. He's, he, his attention to detail and the quality that he showed day yeah. in day out was remarkable. Uh-huh. His, his finishing drills were just his consistency to hit the same spot, the same right. spot over and over, yeah. was was an unbelievable inspiration. Yeah. And Kevin Gallagher was a brilliant professional. Kevin and I were pretty close because he was Scottish yeah. and he kind of took me under his wing and I really appreciated that and we still sort of keep in touch and frequently, but yeah, a great guy, yeah. great professional. Yeah, he's doing a lot of media work now. Yeah. Working with the BBC and with uh, BBC Lancashire. Yeah, he is, yeah. yeah. No, a brilliant professional. He was fantastic when he came to yeah. Newcastle. He really was when we needed him. He was, uh, he was just, you knew what you were going to get from Kevin every single game. Personally, in the Premier League era, because I did see a lot of it, Shearer, I think, is the best striker in that area. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Yeah. I think Shearer's the, the best striker in Premier League history and oh, you've got Henri there and I, I think Spurs have got a guy in Harry Kane who yes. might just surpass him in yeah. goals and in, in, in maybe everybody's yeah. eyes as yeah. the greatest striker but that remains to be seen. At the moment it's Alan Shearer for me. Yeah. His consistency, his quality with Blackburn. That season where Blackburn won the league was just phenomenal. Yeah. Shea and I actually used to speak about that because Shea was a a young lad at Blackburn there yeah. watching the games and he said, you know, the the, the uh, youth team players and the reserve team players would be in the stand, they'd look at each other every week, like he's done it again. Like they were in awe of this guy who was their colleague, their teammate and it was I was watching well, from a TV in have, Scotland yeah. but it was amazing. I mean I have to say I'm not a betting man and the only time I bet is on Shearer scoring a goal. Yeah. <laughs> it was like he scored the same goal every week. When he got it in his body, he turned and he just whipped it in the top corner. It was yeah. like so consistent. And uh, when I was later, when I was at Newcastle, I got to see why it was that consistent because he practiced every single day. Because uh, I think before you broke into the Newcastle first team squad, you were selected for Scotland, weren't you? Yeah. You made yeah. a Scottish debut. I, I did. That was in strange circumstances, wasn't it? It was. I was in Poland and I was supposed to play with the 21s. Uh, under 21s with the game the day before and I got pulled out of the squad because there was a few injuries to the first team under Craig Brown so I got to go up to the first team hotel and I was excited and I trained once I think with the guys you know I'm I'm thinking okay it's a great experience then I'm on the bench and I'm like oh well this is an even better experience and Craig gives me a shout maybe around the 50th 55th minute mark come on you're going on couldn't believe it. I went, I went on midfield. <laughs> right. I played there. The good player, I can't remember his name, but he was dominating. And Craig's like, go on and get near. 
uh, big guy, so he's physical. He's, I think that's why I got the nod. Go on and get near him and stop him playing. I touched the ball three times, but I stopped him playing. Oh, which well, that's the main thing. And of course, Gary became a Scottish international yeah. as well. Did you, did you play in the same team together? We did. That must have been quite the experience. It was unbelievable. I think we're the, the first and only brothers in about 65 years. Uh, so... It was a thing that was coming for quite some time. We played 21s, which was a unique thing, yeah. two brothers playing 21s. And then we waited and waited. And there was one game at Easter Road in the summer against Trinidad and Tobago where uh, Gary came off and I went on. And we were right. like, oh, we were so <laughs> close to being there at the same time. And then eventually in Moldova it happened and it happened a few times. And probably the highlight of my career to play for my yeah, country alongside my brother. It was, it was amazing. My brother was an outstanding player for Scotland. Uh-huh. And... Um, and he uh, he had some great moments, maybe me a bit less, but I'm I'm still very proud that we were on the field together. Do you know the words to Flower of Scotland? Oh yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, you want me to sing it? <laughs> no, I think we'll pass on that today, Stephen. In your final season at Newcastle, you went out on loan. Uh, you were at Leeds for a little while and made thirteen appearances for for them. And you scored a goal in one of those appearances. Do you, do you remember that goal? Yeah, you would park. I remember yes. that goal very well. It was a header. Okay, well, the BBC reporter said said uh, it was from a corner, and it was a short corner to Kelly, and the Irish defender delivered a deep cross to the far post for a completely unmarked Caldwell to head past Friedel. Um, well, that's not what lost, I remember. But you lost two more. I was going to say, uh, yeah. you probably remember, you escaped your marker. Ah, uh, uh, yeah, there was, there was a few guys around the uh, Bullet header in the bottom corner. I was going to say, a bullet header, yeah. I don't think that report does it justice. Yeah, it's funny because... Um, <laughs> Uh, Brad Friedo is is a guy that I, I know through broadcasting in North America. Yeah. He, he worked for Fox for a number of years, and now he's coaching New England Revolution. Yeah. And I scored that goal against Brad, and then I actually scored another one later when Brad was at Aston Villa, um, and I was playing for Burnley. So he was a guy that I managed to put the ball past, I think, more times than anybody else. So I kind of remind him of that when I see him. Yeah. Two thousand and four, you moved to Sunderland, and as you've just said, you know you wanted to get more first time, first team uh, time. Was there any reaction between Newcastle and Sunderland, the fans, but moving from uh, such close right between such close rivals? Yeah, it was um, it was a difficult thing to do, but I think that I wanted to move to a big club. Yeah. Uh, I knew that I needed to drop down the championship to play every week, probably, or um, or that was the opportunity, and and. The Leeds loan spell came after I'd signed the pre-contract with Sunderland. I tried right. to go there and we couldn't make it work. So I went to Leeds on loan, which is a great experience and a great club to play for. But I always knew I was going to Sunderland at the yeah. end of the, 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 the season. Right. And Mick was the big Mick McCarthy was a big yeah. reason for that. I just I wanted to be at a club of that size. They showed real interest in me. I didn't need to move house. I was in the area that I loved, right. and uh, and Mick was very persuasive. Yeah. And so I signed for Sunderland and I knew I was going to get some flack. But I felt like confident that the Newcastle fans would understand yeah. I needed to play yeah. and the, the effort that I gave for the club. So Mick McCarthy, a, a different kind of manager to what you'd been used to? Uh, yes. Um, I think not a lot of difference between Bobby and Mick, but only in terms of generational. You know, right. uh, Mick was... Mick's a great, great man-manager as well and, and a great guy. And um, Mick... Create squads with accountability and, and, and teams that um, that take responsibility and, right. and, and players that are men really, and that's okay. what I appreciate about Mick. And and we were that kind of team. And the thing about Mick is he's very passionate. There's loads of confrontation, but it's forgotten about the next day and right. it's dealt with and then yeah. move on. And we think about the next game yeah. and we, we keep moving forward. And 
that was a great lesson. He's tough on centre halves. He's especially tough on young centre halves, which I was at the time. I appreciate that yeah. now. At the time, again, we're clashing, we're yeah. arguing, but never any grudge there yeah. and, and complete respect. Again, he strikes me as, a, from what you see on the TV and hear of him, he strikes me as a, that kind of manager again. What you see is what you get again. Yeah. Uh, there's no airs and graces no. about him. And I like that. I like yeah. working for guys like that. Yeah. So I, I, I found a guy who was going to teach me how to be a you know a week in week out professional. Right. I'd never really been that, and I was getting on a bit by then. Twenty three, twenty four. You really should have played more than yeah. forty or fifty yeah. games. So uh, he gave me that chance, and I'll forever be grateful. But that first season at Sunderland turned out pretty well, didn't it? It did. Yeah, very good team. Ninety four points, seven points clear of Wigan, and I've put down a note here, April twenty third, two thousand and five. Do you remember that date? Yes, I do. I think that was the game we beat Leicester. Yeah. Another um, header. And you scored, yeah. <laughs> Another header, yeah. Another header. Did, uh, you, did you score any goals with your feet? They all I headers? did. I scored a couple. Oh, definitely one. I remember one for Newcastle. Maybe only one. <laughs> <laughs> so that clinched promotion for you. Yeah. Uh, how did you celebrate that goal? You didn't. You didn't slide on your knees. No. Off. We were in a real fight. We we started the season slow. We had put a lot of players together. We had some great experience: Marcus Stewart, Gary Breen, Carl Robinson. Mm-hmm. Then we had some younger guys like myself. Uh, Stephen Elliott came from Man City. Right. Then we had Liam Lawrence and Dean Whitehead, who came from lower leagues, but quality players that went on to have great careers. So it took us a while to gel, and when we gelled, we started to get it going. And we were in a fight with Ipswich and, and Wigan, and, and Sunderland up the top. And I think the last thirteen games, we won eleven lost one and drew one or something like that right. we were just on a tear we went on yeah. a run it was brilliant and the game you talk about against Leicester we knew the importance Ipswich were at Ellen Road uh, don't know where Wigan were but if Ipswich drew or lost and we won yeah. we were promoted and we played horrible we <laughs> <laughs> were awful we were we were lucky uh, I think Ben Hannick was in goal that day but made some the keeper made some great saves and uh, we hung in the game and then Obviously, I got that header to, to, to kind of get the victory. Right. We, we, we scraped out. And I, I love thinking about that game because it kind of epitomised the way we were our season. We right. were tough, tough team to beat. Yeah. We were grinders. We were capable of like rolling the sleeves up and getting mucked yeah. in. And like I say, a, a, a changing room of leaders and guys who just demanded more and right. you know a lot of aggression, a lot of yeah. confrontation. So um, you, you must have learned a lot from that. that so that much, season. yeah. Yeah. So much yeah. guys like Gary, Gary Bream was yeah. our captain, but yeah. Carl Robinson, Marcus Stewart, the, the names that I mentioned earlier, just Mick was a big part of that. Ian Evans, yeah. his assistant, just that was like I was like a sponge then. I just wanted to learn and grow as a as a yeah, well, basically a right. mid professional at that point. Okay, now I, I hate to bring this up, but uh, let's talk about the following season yeah. because that was quite the contrast for you as you went straight back to the championship. Uh, is that one of your worst disappointments in football? I never think back about disappointments, right. and I'll tell you why. Because you you learn in any scenario, and and you learn probably more in defeat and in disappointment and in adversity. And I learned so much about me that season, and so much about mistakes that were made, and and decisions that could have been done better by myself and by everybody else. And so, if you have a learning mindset and you you, you keep to that and you try and analyze it, then then you take that. Disappointment right. in the next step of your career, yeah. and you make sure yeah. you you see the warning signs. You don't yeah. let it happen again, or you try and not let yeah. it happen again. So you can you you were able to park it, so to speak, behind you and concentrate on looking forward to the next season. Well, it was tough, and it's 
the North East the best area in the world to play football, uh, in my opinion. <laughs> but it's also the worst because when things are going bad, there's nowhere to hide, there's nowhere to go. You had phenomenal support still, didn't you? We still had great crowds. support, but we had tough times. We remember a game at Portsmouth, a fan came on the field and he was angry at Kelvin right. Davies who had made a few mistakes. A fantastic goalkeeper, had a yeah. great career, never worked for him at Sunderland really, you know. And so there was times like that where there'd be like, you know, 10,000 waiting outside the stadium yeah. and they were very vocal, they're okay. passionate fans. That's why it's a great place to play. So there was tough times and there was times where it took real strength and and basically commitment to get in the ball and to right. be brave. And, and I learned then that that's what it really takes. And, you know, you could tell people about playing in areas like that and, and playing for fans like that, but they don't know what it's like till they experience it. And I am very privileged that I experienced that for a club like Sunderland. But of course, halfway through or partway through that season, Mick got the sack. Yeah. And uh, Roy Keane eventually came in. Yeah, Mick got the sack. Uh, Kevin Ball, club legend, took it for a bit. We had some bit of an upturn, but we ultimately couldn't pick up enough points. We were going down pretty yeah. early in that yeah. season because we were so low in points. And then there was a transition to the ownership where you know Niall Quinn came in. Mm. He took the job for a little bit. He was never yeah. wanting to be the coach, no. but he was looking for somebody to find. And, and Mick was that guy. Eh, sorry, Roy was that guy. And and Roy, uh, Roy came in early in the next season and um, and changed a few things and got some money to spend and you really uh, created a, a brilliant little squad. So again, a new, different type of manager, I imagine? Yeah, I, the only real disappointment in my career, something that I'd like to go back to and, 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 and maybe do things different, or I don't, I don't know if that's even possible, but the only disappointment was Roy Keane for me. Roy Keane was a hero of mine. He's yeah. an outstanding player, a guy that I loved. Basically from Forest, picked him up quite early. I, I just loved him. I loved when he was at right back, central midfield, back in the day where he was box to box. And then when he became the sitting guy and uh, just a hero. And when he and I thought he had some great ideas in the game. I just didn't think he was a good man manager and he well, yeah, could communicate with people. Yeah, I mean, again, that's the impression you get from outside. Yeah. No, he never really hit the heights of the manager. And a lot of top ex-players don't hit the heights yeah. of the manager. Is it because... The players can't come up to the manager's expectations. It's hard for a guy of his standing to kind of accept that he's dealing with players that have yeah. maybe a different mentality or different skill set or whatever that is. But when you're a leader of any group, it doesn't matter if it's a football team or if it's a business or whatever it is, it's your job to get the best out of your employees. And I don't think he did that in the early days. I think he found it very frustrating. I think he was still, uh, and I know this from my time retiring, when you retire, it takes a long time to transition your brain from thinking like a football player to whatever else you do. Yeah. And I think he was still in the football player mindset and, and sticking to the things that made him a wonderful captain mm. with that group of players demanding. And, and it was a bit too intense. And right. um, I think that applied to a few different people. He fell out with almost everybody in some form or another. And so did you have any any real set-tos with him? I was never particularly... I'd be more scared of guys that you'd be surprised about. Like, Chris Hutton would scare me ten times more than Roy Oh, Keane. really? Yeah. Uh, Mick is a guy that, you know, is a proper man, you know. So, you know, there's things where the guys get this reputation. I was never scared of Roy Keane. I always thought he started off really... Um, analysing the game or whatever or, or very tactical I, yeah. I loved his views in the game and then his own mindset took him off on a tangent right. then he started to okay. lose his way and it almost became I don't know the words comical because nothing's comical when it's football it's just life and death for us isn't it? but it became like 
sort of petty and, okay. and silly and, and, and so he lost control and he was learning, he was a young manager but I, I just never really seen it and then eventually Roy and I started to have a dispute about he felt like I was trying to move away from the club and I just wanted okay. clarity in where I was yeah. and with Roy there was no second chance so I went for Mick who was a guy where you know not, there was no grudges held yeah. it was move on let's do the best for the team and Roy held grudges every single day with every single person he had okay. an argument with so that was I mean I think you were suffering some injuries that season as well weren't you so, yeah I picked up so a get, thigh which yeah. was a bad injury so I mean again was that the circumstances, the injury and, and difficulties, if I can call it that, with Roy, that made you want to move on again? Well, I didn't really want to move on. Uh, I wanted to stay and I just wanted some clarity in that. And I thought I got it for Roy because he seemed like he wanted me to be there. And then he changed his mind in a day. Okay. And he was like, you know, I want you, you know, you can go and speak to whoever you want. Right. And so I only had six months to go in the contract. So I, you know, went to speak to a few clubs, one of them being Burnley yeah. and Steve Cottrell. And, um, and I, you know, I was a bit okay, maybe I stay at Sunderland and show Roy what I'm capable of and, and fight for my place. Because you know, I wasn't keen on leaving a club right. like Sunderland. I yeah. loved it. I loved the area. I loved the club. And he was making it difficult for me. And I think he said a few things. I, right. I wasn't going to play. So yeah. in the end, okay. it was like, okay, it's done. This end of this chapter, move somewhere else. That's the end of part one. Join us now in part two, where we'll hear more about Stephen's career and some more connections with Rovers.